Okay. I know that was a long chunk. Um, there's, uh, there are two hours left in the, in the movie at this point. So I figured I'd just show you that uh, since, since we're in the habit of staying a little bit later anyways, we might as well watch a little bit longer of a section. Um, what follows next? The next scene is the scene that we're going to study today, the woman caught in adultery. Does everybody have a hand up by chance? Okay. But first, before we do that, let's uh, just talk about what we saw. Now, there were lots of, lots of different episodes there. Is there anything that caught your attention? Any, what were the different scenes that we saw? That, anything you found interesting? Mary. Right. But like just watching this, if it was me and I was there, I would think it was Paul Mother. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. Listening to him, like because the stuff we have it all in perspective. Right. So but if you're there right then at that time and here's this guy who comes from nowhere and is sort of talking all these very strange right. and he says things very cryptically. Right. So, so uh, go ahead, Holly. Yeah. I was just going to say, seeing Judas right here. Yeah. I was like, oh yeah, he didn't just like turn. Yeah. Like, that night and be like, I want thirty pieces of silver on his Jesus. Mm-hmm. It was something that was, you know, he's like, boy, is this guy crazy? Maybe I could give him up because it wouldn't be so hard because I'm not sure I understand what he's doing. That's right. Yeah. So it, what you see is um, the interesting effort. Uh, so Judas is highlighted. The other disciples um, are highlighted as well in, in, in uh, their efforts to reconcile what Jesus says with what they know, right? And what they know is along the lines of the things that Barabbas says, right? So um, we're oppressed. Let's throw off our oppressors, right? Um, we, uh, we, the, temple, the temple is um, at stake. Let's preserve this institution, right? And Jesus comes along and he says, I mean, the things that he says, I, I, I don't quite buy their reactions. Because, like you said, Mary, if, if, if Jesus walks in and says, love your enemies, when you have your whole life assumed that those enemies ought to be, you know, routed. Um, and, if he says, and then if he says, be perfect, um, how do you react to that, <laughs> right? You, you disregard him. Or you, you, but, of course, they're also dealing with the evidence that Jesus brings, which is the, the miracles that he's, that he's worked, and, and the, 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 the truth of his teachings that, that does resonate with them. So um, that's one of the difficult things. We saw it last time I taught um, in how both the zealots and the Pharisees wanted to appropriate different parts of Jesus, right? And Jesus, Jesus says, no, you can't have just part of me. You have to have the whole thing. But having the whole thing, having all of Jesus... Um, means that you have to live with this fact, really, right? You have to live with, and we, we see this most poignantly in, in the next episode, I think, um, which, which highlights just how um, you don't understand Jesus. You don't, he's not somebody to understand. He's somebody to be trusted, okay? Um, and that's one of, the, one of the challenges that the disciples are facing there. Yeah, Krista. Oh, it, okay. That's interesting. Yeah. And it, and right. I mean, and, and even, even within the gospel text, the fact that, the fact that Jesus takes Barabbas' place, right, um, that he's exchanged for Barabbas, makes that scene all the more potent, right? 
Anything else? Mary. That's right. You know, and Jesus took no joy in the, the way the crowd, you know. Right. He just comes in because, like, he's just so Yeah. And, but he takes no joy over the... And then, and then, again, when Jesus enters the temple and starts uh, thrashing the money changers, right, you saw the grin on that one disciple's face. It was the same grin, the very same grin that he had when Jesus turned the, uh, multiplied the fish and the loaves, right? He's like, this is awesome, this is great. But Jesus is clearly not enjoying it. Um, uh, it's not, it's out of character for him, right? It's not something, it's not what he expects to be doing. Is there a hand over here? No. Nope. Okay. Anything else from, from this, this chunk of film? All right. I think, I think you, you, uh, th- we'll, we'll see this, we'll see everything sort of uh, brought to a head in this next episode. So let's, let's move on. Um, before you look at the text, um, I think we know, I think you know this story. We studied it a couple years ago when I was a vicar, um, uh, from a different perspective, remember Jesus from Middle Eastern, in Middle Eastern eyes, Kenneth Bailey. Um, we get we gain some uh, uh, an interesting perspective from some of the films, but I want there's also more to say about the story. So, just from your just from your memories, um, how does the story go? What are the key parts of the story? Um, you know which story I'm talking about? The woman caught in adultery, who's going to be stoned? Okay, so right, so they so t- tell me the story. Okay, do you know who they are? Okay, yeah, uh, yeah, the, the Pharisees, and uh, so they bring a woman to Jesus, and why do they bring her to him? Right, right. That's right. So this fits in, um, let's see, so she's an adulteress, and they want to test him, and this fits in the character of uh, a lot of the things that the scribes and the Pharisees do. So what are other times? Do you remember other times that they test Jesus like this? Yeah. Should we pay taxes to Caesar, right? Yeah. What, a couple of, there's a couple other instances like it. Yeah. Should, should you heal on the Sabbath? Is it, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? The man, the woman who married the seven That's right. Divorce. The question, the question about divorce. Moses says this. What do you say, right? So... The, the key conflict, as the Pharisees see it, is a conflict between Jesus and Moses, right? Um, and now why, do they, why do they see this as a potential trap for Jesus? What, what, are, the, what are the potential outcomes that they, that they think are at play here? Krista. Right. Why, why, couldn't he, why wouldn't he be the Messiah? Right. So either... Option one, Jesus contradicts Moses. Or what's the other option? So one thing is he's getting from Rome because um, the Romans were very conscious of starting riots. Ah, that's good. So if he said, yes, stone her, um, he'd be agreeing with Moses, but he would be doing something political, right? Um, there'd be this, uh, it would be take, the justice would be, um, be sort of made, made public in this case. The Jewish justice would have been made public, more public than the Ro- than Romans would have liked, right? So uh, Rome would have been upset. Okay, and how does Jesus respond? They say to him, what, they say, this woman was caught in the act, act of adultery. I asked you a question and I wrote a question mark. 
That's a period. This one was caught in the act of adultery. What did they say to Jesus? What's the question they ask him? What do you say, and how does he respond? Yeah, he writes in the, writes in the sand. They, and yeah, whoever, which, which, whichever of you is without sin, let him throw the first stone, right? And then what happens? They all walk away, starting with, starting with the oldest to the youngest, right? Um, okay. Uh, and, then, and then what? what is, how does the story conclude? Right, right. Who is left to condemn you? Nobody. Yeah, neither do I condemn you. Yeah, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Okay, so now this is a real, uh, a real lively question here. Um, and I want, to, I want to see how you think about this. If you, if you were going to say, you were going to summarize what Jesus is doing in this story, what's, what's he teaching in this story, what is it? He's teaching, I'm sorry, I didn't see who said that. Forgiveness, forgiveness. okay. What, what about forgiveness? Okay, so, um, that's, okay, so, so forgiveness, judgment isn't yours, okay? All have sinned, Okay. Okay, uh, good. Okay. Okay, good. There was another hand. Judge yourself. Right, yeah. Let me put that right here because that comes, comes with these two. Judge yourself. Okay, good, good. Now, um, anything else? Yeah, Nancy. Right. Now, now here's, here's a key, uh, a crucial point. So, um, you saw it. Uh, nope, let's, let, here, let's pause for a second. Let's watch the scene from Jesus of Nazareth real quick because it, 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 um, it highlights something you just said. Okay, so this is the scene. Okay, so w- one of the things that this, uh, this depiction reveals is um, the, it especially highlights the fact that they were bringing this woman to Jesus to test him, right? So you see the sinister look in the, in the face of the Pharisee. Um, but the difficult question that I want you to engage uh, in this episode is this. If Jesus hadn't been there, and if the Pharisees hadn't been involved trying to test Jesus, would the people have been right to stone the woman? Okay. So you qualified it according to Moses' law. Would they would would they have been right? This is this is uh, this is why. So 
if you're gonna, if you're gonna, we were gonna put this all together, uh, this episode, um, I would describe it this way. What, and this is true in a lot of the book of John. This is this is from an episode from John, when Jesus comes on the scene and when Jesus does something, especially like he does here, he uh, he forces a crisis. He causes a crisis. So you can't leave the scene the same way you came into it, right? You either have to say, um, like, the, like the people did with the stones, right? I'm a sinner. I, have to, I, have to, I better figure that out, right? I, I'm deserving of, ju- of judgment just as much as she is. I better sort that out. Or, like the woman, uh, hears the words of Jesus and trusts him. And the reason why Jesus forces a crisis is because um, Moses is pretty clear. Moses is pretty clear about what should happen to a woman or to anybody, anybody caught in adultery. Leviticus chapter 20, um, verse 10. If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death, right? Um, there's, no, there's no sort of ifs, ands, or buts about it. Um, now, I think that we tend to be uh, a little bit more charitable towards the woman caught in adultery because, um, because sexual sin is much less stigmatized in our culture than, in, than it was in, in this culture. But consider, for example, consider this, and, uh, and I mean this to, to ch- sort of challenge the way you're thinking about the story. Earlier in Leviticus chapter 20, there's the very same penalty assigned to people who, who are child sacrificers, people who sacrifice their children to the god Molech. So imagine the scene if they had brought to Jesus someone who was a child sacrificer. How would you feel about it then? Right? Would, you, would you feel differently about it? Moses says, this person should be stoned. They just sacrificed their child. It's, it, the, the way we look at it um, is, is, is perhaps tempered. Um, and it's because we love to rationalize things. We love to, love to justify things. Carol. It, uh, sure. In, in the way that we would look at what they do, whatever it is. Okay. Uh, still look at it in terms of mercy and forgiveness so that they stop what they are doing. Right, right. So, so somehow uh, we have to reckon with the fact that Jesus comes along and doesn't execute justice, right? Doesn't bring justice down on this woman. Okay. He brings mercy. Okay. Holly. So in Moses' time they would stone kill How then do people receive mercy if they like, you know, there would be a comment for my own sacrifice. Right. But who receive that and for what sense would you receive that atonement? Yeah. So the system in, in in the system, in the judicial system of the people of Israel, there was no mercy. Um, there, there, was, there were temporal consequences to actions like that. That doesn't mean that there's no forgiveness. So there's no temporal mercy, right? She wouldn't have been spared stoning, but she would have been forgiven. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's right. Um, 
which is, which is uh, you know, the other, the other important sort of side of it. This is why we don't stone, we don't stone uh, you know, people who do anything <laughs> because we have a government in place um, that, that is responsible for carrying out justice. Um, and what you see sort of side by side in this episode is Jesus who speaks to individuals and says, you are not the arbiter of justice. If you were going to measure right and wrong, you, you, would, you, would have, you would be stuck thinking about how you are wrong. You can't get past yourself to, to judge somebody else. But he doesn't say that there's nobody who's an arbiter of justice, right? Um, the government is established for this purpose, right? To carry out justice. There's now, uh, you may have seen this. Uh, this has been run as a margin comment in the service folders. Uh, this, uh, this came to mind. Uh, it's on page, starts on page two. There's this really interesting um, essay that uh, Patrick Henry Reardon, he's an Orthodox priest in the city, um, he wrote a couple years ago. Um, and I, I kind of want to read the whole thing to you because it's, it's all really good. Um, there are some highlighted parts that are really important. Um, and, and this really kind of uh, emphasizes the, the paradox that's at play here. Okay, So, so listen to what he says. He said, he's, he's pretty explicit. He, he lays it out himself. He says, he's a priest, I have never served on a jury, nor, if I trust memory, have I ever published very widely the reason for this. The immediate reason is that I have invariably found some way to be excused from the duty without making a big deal of it. When, for instance, I received a jury summons shortly after my arrival in Chicago in 98, I took the liberty of showing up in the courtroom dressed in a cassock and wearing a pectoral cross. The maneuver was effective. Absolutely everyone in the room, judge, prosecutor, defender, court reporter, street winos who wandered in just to get out of the cold, they all ignored me or pretended to. No eye in the place ever met mine. Pigeons perched on the sills of the courtroom windows stood a better chance of getting picked for the jury. <laughs> now, it, now, it's interesting, though. Uh, why do you suppose nobody made eye contact with him? Yeah, right. People assume, people assume that the that, uh, priest is, you know, bringing, ju- bringing uh, judgment, right, is, is sort of this, this, uh, this symbol of morality, okay? The fact is, no one who hears confessions should ever, under any circumstance, serve on a jury. When he hears confessions, the priest functions in the capacity of a parakletos. That is, he serves the penitent as the minister of God's infinite mercy. Like God, the father confessor is always on the side of the sinner. When the criminal forensic system picks candidates to serve on a jury, it invariably asks them, can you render judgment based entirely on the objective evidence placed before you? Although this is an entirely appropriate question, I don't see how it can be safely answered in the affirmative by a man whose habitual mindset is formed in a forum where he functions as the minister of divine mercy. So notice, notice the, the contrast there, right? So he, he can't answer that question truthfully because his mindset is one of mercy. Um, but, he doesn't, but that doesn't mean that it's not a good question because that's what the criminal justice system is supposed to do. Address cases based on the facts. Which means, by the way, it's really, really hard to be a public official who's a Christian. Because you live, you live um, under mercy, right? You know that, that, that your life, is, uh, it, it, your life um, consists of receiving mercy, and yet you're called on to uh, sort of put mercy aside and view things objectively. It's really difficult. Um, it's a, <laughs> that's why Luther said, if we could have just one Christian prince... We, we would be in good shape, but, but there, were, there was no such thing, right? It was so difficult. Can, uh, let, uh, follow along with me here then. 
I render these reflections in the context of the George Zimmerman Trayvon Martin trial. Indeed, even now the jury is in deliberation as I write. Although the judge in this trial cautioned the jurors to make their decision based on the objective evidence, I was stunned by the prosecutor's plea to the jury to go into their hearts and find the defendant guilty. The thought of a Christian's going into his heart and condemning someone else simply staggers the mind. If a Christian does this on any occasion, he must shudder at the judgment that awaits him. No, in a courtroom, the only legitimate judgment is one reached on the basis of objective evidence presented in the case, not the sentiments of the heart. And this is the reason a father confessor must not serve on a jury. He knows, even in the depths of his heart, that there is always more to the story. He realizes that even if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Okay, so we'll, uh, I'll stop there. Um, but you see the, you see the, you see the picture. Um, this is why Jesus doesn't condemn the woman. Not because she hasn't sinned, not because she doesn't deserve judgment, and not because judgment wasn't being carried out in the right way. In fact, all of those things were true. Jesus doesn't condemn the woman because he's Jesus, right? So you leave the scene um, either despairing of yourself because of your sin or hoping against all hope that Jesus is there when you face the judgment, right? Because you don't stand a chance otherwise, right? And, and, and in fact, that's why it's so important that Jesus... Uh, rises from the dead, is vindicated over death, and, and, and is demonstrated to be God, right? So that he can, with authority, say, neither do I condemn thee. Right, Barbara. Um, it's something I just thought about. He also didn't ask for it. Right, yeah. Right. Now, that's, 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 that's a, a, a really important thing to note. Um, and it's important for us to understand how repentance works. So there's two parts to repentance. The first is um, recognizing, acknowledging your sin. Now, there's no doubt she knew that she was a sinner because she, she'd been caught, right? Um, and, but even that, even that, you don't get to that point on your own, right? We don't recognize the full, um, the full extent of our sinfulness on our own. In fact, we're, if we were left to our own devices, we always sort of hold back some of our sinfulness for ourselves. We say, well, I'm, I'm sinful in these ways, but perhaps not in this way. David writes in the Psalms, nobody knows. Who knows the, you know, how, much, how grievous his sins are, right? So there's that part of it. And then the, the, the other side of repentance, the more important part of repentance is trusting in the one who forgives sins. And that, that you only get to by hearing the words from the man himself, from God himself, right? Um, so... The, the, uh, the, to me, the really striking thing about the scene, which is hard to, hard to convey, and I, don't, and, I mean, I like, I like the film Jesus of Nazareth because um, it's, really easy to, it's, re- it's relatively easy to watch and it provides lots of food for thought. But what Jesus does when he forgives the adulteress is completely, um, he, he completely upends any, any hope that you have in yourself, right? So, once again, you're forced into a crisis, Either you trust Jesus or you, you walk away in despair. There's, there's no alternative at that point, right? Any questions or, or, or thoughts? Uh, Donna? Uh, the first time I read this, I Yeah. I wonder to myself, how many Christians It's, yeah. Okay. 
Good. So, so there's the, the two great things to talk about. So now, uh, so Patrick Henry Reardon is talking about um, how the, a priest is in a peculiar position of um, always advocating for the sinner. This is why it's really difficult to be, um, it, it can be difficult to be a, uh, a pastor, a confessor in places where there's mandatory reporting, right? Because if somebody says something to you, confesses a sin, and the government says, you have to tell us about this if you ever hear about it, right? Um, it, it's really challenging, right? And it, it presents a dilemma to, for a lot of pastors. So a pastor is in a peculiar position because to anybody who confesses sin, a pastor's only word is your sins are forgiven, right? Now for the Christian, the, for, for, for every Christian, um, our lives are governed by the fact that we're the recipients of mercy. If we ever forget that we've received mercy, then, um, then we're not Christians anymore, right? Which makes it really challenging, which makes it so that you have to consider that question very carefully. Will you examine this simply based on the objective facts? Which means that if you render a guilty verdict, you're probably going to be broken up about it, right? It's probably going to hurt to do that because you know that you too are guilty. Now, um, Christians uh, have a civic responsibility to do what their government tells them to do, right? So um, that's, that's what, as long as it doesn't, you know, violate God's will. So a Christian who's called to jury duty has a, does it and uh, sort of uh, suffers through it, right? Um, and, the, and, and then the question about death penalty is a good one as well. Um, again, um, whether or not a Christian could, uh, you know, individually render a death sentence against somebody else um, as a Christian it's a really tough thing. Um, but more important is who's the authority? Who's, a, who's authoritative? Who decides these things? Um, and it's not individual Christians. And that's one, one of the things that Jesus is pointing out to us, right? It's not... Um, if it, he highlights the individuality of all those men who are standing there holding stones, right? He says, consider yourself. Are you without sin, right? And they're forced to leave the scene. Um, and... Uh, you know, at, at that moment, nobody could render the death penalty. But a government, again, is called to execute justice in the best way possible. Sometimes they do it in good ways, sometimes they do it in bad ways. Um, but it's, it, that, that judgment is, again, an objective, um, not sentimental judgment. That's really hard when you're the recipient of mercy. That's, that's why, you know, the Jesus story about um, the man who was forgiven so much debt and then goes and tries to wring the last little bit of debt out of his fellow servant. Um, that's why that story is, uh, you, don't, you don't have any pity for that man, right? Because he received so much mercy, he should have been merciful. Okay? Anything else? I've been talking a lot. Nancy. This lady was caught in adultery. I mean, there was somebody else there. Yeah, right. Did the Pharisees excuse him? Well, so now, and, and, and so, maybe, he wasn't on the scene. They didn't bring him on the scene. They should have, because Leviticus says both should be penalized. Both should be killed, right? Um, but I, I would suggest that that's, that that's not really... that As much as we want that to be a part of the story, it's not part of the story, right? The, uh, the shortcomings of the Pharisees in, in carrying out God's justice um, don't undo the fact that the woman is guilty, right? Um, so just because the man wasn't punished doesn't mean that the woman shouldn't be punished. That's... that's and... and I find this. Uh, I find it really interesting because when I for, when I hear the story, I'm always doing all of these things to rationalize it, all of these things to explain it, and say, 
well, maybe she wasn't really guilty, or um, you know, maybe maybe these people shouldn't have been the ones. Maybe they were wrong. They weren't the ones who were supposed to carry out justice, or um, maybe you, you know uh, there weren't enough witnesses, or whatever. You know, um, but that but the text is pretty clear. She was guilty, right? Right. It doesn't change anything about who she is and her guilt. Right. But it does maybe point to the fact that, well, if they were truly just concerned about following the law, then they have a guy That's right. Yeah. So, so, there's, so Jesus is, is, is definitely teaching two things. One, one is he's putting the, the Pharisees in their place, right? He's saying, you, you who ought to be um, providing justice and caring for the widows and the fatherless, right? We heard this uh, what, last weekend, right? The widows might you devour widows' houses. You, the ones who are supposed to be um, governing the people in justice, you're not, you're not doing it, right? Um, and even more, you're as worthy of ju- a judgment as she is, right? So there's definitely that there. Um, uh, there's, there's two threads. He's, he's, and he, it's always like that when Jesus um, is encountered, encounters these tests. Um, so when, he said, when he's tested about paying taxes to Caesar, on the one hand, he's teaching the, the people who test him, he's teaching them a lesson. On the other hand, he's also teaching us a lesson about um, our relationship to the government that God has instituted, right? Barb. I guess I'm always surprised at how, to me, easily the men drop the stone. Right. Really, with so much in adhering to the law of Moses, just having somebody tell me, you know, that why Let's watch another movie. That, that engages that question. That's good. Um, so now, I, I'm, I'm amazed, yes, uh, that I, I'm amazed in Jesus of Nazareth that they, that they just sort of drop the stones and just sort of shrug and be like, okay, I guess he's right, you know, because it, it's much more serious than that, right? <laughs> he's basically saying, you should be stoned too, okay? Um, this is, now, this is the last temptation of Christ, um, and you'll notice a couple of things. Uh, there'll, be a, there'll be a number of things to talk about. So, so, so pay, pay close attention. But here we see somebody say, um, I'm not going to listen to what Jesus says. I'm going to throw a stone anyway. Okay? Okay. So uh, any, any, anything strike you about that rendition? So it's, 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 not, it's, it's uh, different than the biblical account in a lot of ways, right? Uh, it doesn't take place in the temple. They're accusing her of all kinds of different things. Um, but it, it, Jesus speaks directly to Zebedee, right? And uh, there's a lot of speculation, you know, about, uh, about... So Jesus is scribbling in the sand, right? What did he write in the sand? Um, I'm going to show you um, Cecil B. DeMille's version because he, he takes a stab at what Jesus is scribbling in the sand. Um, but here, uh, Jesus... Uh, it shows what it would take for somebody to drop the stone, right? That, that Jesus um, has to speak directly to them, right? And, and, or in some way, right? Either, either speaking directly to them or their conscience speaking directly to them, saying, yes, uh, I've, sinned in, I've sinned in this way too, or I've sinned in a way that's, that makes me not able to render, render judgment, okay? Anything, anything else? Yeah, Barb. In terms of penalty, uh, in terms of penalty, yes. In terms, like in terms of temporal consequences. So this is uh, this is uh, an important distinction to make. Um, 
So, there were some sins that, uh, that cut you, that for, on account of which you were cut off from God, right? You were cut off from the worship of the temple. Um, you, couldn't, uh, you, couldn't, you couldn't receive the benefits of the sacrifice, right? And there were some sins that you just got stoned for, right? And uh, so, so there's, there's a distinction there. Um, and the, ones, the, the sins that were most grievous were, of course, sins that involved worshiping other gods, betraying, betraying uh, the covenant that God had established, right? Um, but the, the reason why um, the difference in those, those penalties stands out so much is because the government itself was, uh, was uh, God was the head of the government. God was the ruler of the people of Israel. He was the king of the people of Israel. So take a look at what uh, John Kleinick writes. This is, starts on page one. Uh, and he's, he's writing about Leviticus chapter 20, and then he also brings, he ties into what Jesus does here. Jesus did not explicitly abolish any of the laws and penalties for their infringement in Leviticus 20. In Matthew 15.4 and Mark 7.10, he confirmed the decree from Leviticus 29 that those who cursed their parents should be put to death. When the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman to him who had been caught in adultery, he did not disagree with their judgment from Leviticus 20.10 that such a person should be put to death. He did not repeal these laws or even lighten the weight of the penalties given in this chapter. If anything, he extended the scope of the offenses that merit the death penalty from the offenses described in Leviticus 20 to include all sins. His message is that since everyone has sinned, everyone is under the divine sentence of death. They, we, all will perish unless we all repent. All this serves to highlight the gospel side of of the ministry of Jesus and his apostles. Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, and that in a strange way. He did not establish a theocratic state that enforced the letter and the spirit of God's law. So he he didn't come uh, concerned with what what the government does, right? He came to bring a kingdom of mercy. Instead, the sentence of death that should have been carried out on all the descendants of Adam, not just those who do the kinds of evil described in Leviticus 20, fell on Jesus. In fact, God the Father sentenced him to death through the high priest. The divine curse for human sin was inflicted on him. God the Father made him the sin offering for all people so that all those who were joined with Jesus could receive pardon and justification. So, again, there, there are several threads in this story. Um, the first conclusion you have to draw is this, that uh, when you're confronted, when, when, you consider the sin, when you find yourself considering the sins of others, uh, you should stop <laughs> and consider your own sin, right? All have sinned, right? Um, judge yourself, judgment, and judgment isn't yours to give because you are, are guilty as well. But then there's, that, doesn't, that isn't the end in itself. That's not the purpose. That's not, the, that's not the, the, the destination. The destination is that mercy is found in Jesus alone. Mercy isn't found in a system of government that... Um, that, has, that provides clemency to, to criminals, right? That's not mercy. And, and mercy shouldn't be found there, right? Mercy is found only in Jesus, right? Everything else is just sort of a, um, would, would be, uh, you know, upending justice or a, a feeble attempt at uh, providing mercy. It's only in Jesus, uh, which is why, why it's so crucial that Jesus is there in the scene, right? And why it's so crucial that Jesus has to be there when we face judgment, right? That we have to, which is, I mean, this is, uh, it's, it's, the, it's the sort of intersection of, of um, 
God's law and, and the good news about, of Jesus, right? So um, the only way we get out of this situation alive is if Jesus is there, all right? Um, was there a hand up? Carol. Right, yeah. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. So I mean, so it's it's sort of a it's sort of a symbolic it's a it's a symbolic thing, an ironic thing that the that's right, right. The sacrifice that the high priest makes atones for the sins of the people, and here it's at the hands of the high priest that he's judged guilty and found and found guilty. Right. Okay. Yes. Yeah. You have to decide basically, okay, I'm, I'm saying this person's guilty. But as a Christian, that kind of hurts. Yes. Yeah. Like, especially when you're sinned against, when, just, when someone sins against you, how do you balance that? Um, you know, when someone sins against you and you see justice dealt out, there's really satisfaction in that. Yeah. But at the same time, you're recognizing. Okay, I'm under mercy. I've been forgiven. Right. I should be forgiving this person. Well, I mean, yeah. Now, uh, what's the uh, Krista's not here? The the um the word the German word Schadenfreude. You, you heard that word? So it says delight in somebody else's in somebody else's suffering, which is sort of instinctive for us uh, as humans. Um, and that again, it's some it's it's uh, it's something to combat, right? Because forget forgiveness doesn't come naturally to us. Um, in that situation, especially, I mean, I, I, I prefer to think of it, um, I find myself much more animated about it if, if it was somebody who was a child sacrificer, right? I would have been there with a stone in my hand, and I would have been happy to see them receive, receive justice, right? Um, uh, now, if it had been a sin against me, um, my child, right, it would be impossible. It would be impossible for me to uh, forgive and to provide mercy, right? It's impossible, um, which is why uh, we, which is why we pray that Jesus uh, forgives us, right, and and makes up for our, our lack of forgiveness, right? Why we ask Jesus to forgive others because we can't do it, right? Um, so, uh, so I mean, so there's two parts to it, right? Right. So you recognize that um, delight in somebody else's suffering is not, or or you know somebody, and then there's a difference, of course, between delight in justice being done when, when, uh, when wickedness is brought to an end versus uh, some, some person receiving um, consequences that make them, make them suffer. There's, there's a difference there too, right? So the Psalms are full of um, petitions that God would bring, bring down the wicked, right? That he would smash their children against the, the stones, right? Um, but that's God who gets to do that, not, not us. Um, and it's not, it's, it's not because they've sinned against us that, that, we, that we pray that. It's because they sinned against God. Um, so, it's a fine line. Is that, I, I don't know if I answered the question. Okay, okay. Yeah, I mean, uh, as, with, as with so many things, as with this story, this is a story that I expect, um, I, would, I would expect... Uh, 
uh, that, that you, you have to return to over and over again as you go through life, right? Uh, because, uh, for one thing, because we're, we have poor memories, and so we forget, we forget what the story is really about. We forget what the gospel is really about. We forget that we, too, are, are, have received mercy. And um, we learn in new ways just how um, we, uh, we don't forgive or how we would delight in other people's suffering. We learn in new ways all throughout our lives. So it's not, it's not sort of, it's never, and this is the character of um, the Christian life. It's, ne- it's not a one and done kind of a thing, right? Um, you, this is why we return, I, I say this all the time, this is why we come to church every, every week, okay? Because you don't, because you lose track of it, you lose sight of it otherwise. Okay, any, anything else? Here's what I'm going to do now. I think this is worth watching, but it's really long. Um, the Cecil B. DeMille silent film version of this. So I'm going to play it. Um, Pastor Nelson would be unhappy with me if I did this because he thinks we should. He thinks we should watch it slowly and, and take it in. But we're running out of time, so uh, don't tell him I did this. We're going to watch it at quadruple speed <laughs> because there's no talking. It's just fine. Um, but you'll, you'll, you'll still get the you'll still get the point. Okay. Okay. So that, that, that would have been really hard to watch at regular speed, I think, just because we're, it's difficult for us to, to watch those. Um, any questions? Any, any uh, comments before we go? Okay. All right. Let's close with prayer. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you.